When I tell you I'm going to get back to you by the end of the day, what does that mean to you? And what about how you interpret "get back to you"? You might be surprised to hear that what those phrases mean to you depends on your age, and how you respond to a compliment depends on your gender, in addition to other context. Our question this episode: How can we best communicate across generational and gender differences? Welcome to episode forty-four of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host Beth Bilo. Thank you so much for being here with me today. This episode's topic brings me back to a listener question from episode six about how to communicate with someone who is in a different generation. I'll include a link to that on the episode webpage because it's a great companion piece for the conversation today I'm having with Lee Carraher. This topic feels personally relevant, as my husband and I are from two different generations. He's a boomer, and I'm a Gen Xer. We're ten years apart in age, and usually the difference is most apparent when it comes to cultural references, especially music. It's made me realize how much music comes to define a generation. It's a mood and memory catalyst, which further cements it in our psyches and almost becomes part of our identity. And this chat with Lee brought to the surface even more places where generational differences come into play, particularly as the age gap between you and another person gets wider. She offers valuable tips on how to clear up any confusion, as well as how communication has changed in the Me Too era. Remember to stay with me after my conversation with Lee for some quick closing thoughts and your call to action. Lee Carraher is the founder and CEO of Double Forte, a successful national public relations, content marketing, and social media firm. Double Forte works with beloved consumer technology and wine brands. She is a highly sought-after communications expert, known for her business acumen and insights, as well as her big laugh. Lee is also an acclaimed author and recognized expert in creating high-performing, positive workplaces. If you enjoy this conversation, you'll definitely want to add her two books to your reading list: "Millennials in Management: The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work," and "The Boomerang Principle: Inspire Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees Even After They Leave." If you want to learn more about Lee and her work, as well as find links to any resources we mention in this episode, I invite you to visit the episode webpage at howcanisaythis.com. From there, you can also access past episodes, submit a communication question for reply in a future episode, subscribe, and learn how to leave a review or offer feedback. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the How Can I Say This podcast. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. So thanks for being here.、Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it too. Well, we're going to focus our conversation on a couple of different things, and one of them is two dynamics that play out every day in both the workplace and at home, and that would be generational and gender differences. Because of course, there's no difference, right? You know, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing to talk about there.、Um, and and you mentioned to me during a conversation we had prior to、uh, this conversation that for the first time in history, we have five generations at work at the same time. Yeah. What do we need to consider from an interpersonal communication standpoint when we are trying to influence across multiple generations? You know, I think one thing you know, intergenerational conflict is nothing new.、Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have a degree in medieval history, which is a thousand years of intergenerational conflict. 
However, um, today we have five generations in the workplace. One, because we're working longer than our forefathers and foremothers. And two, because generations are defined a little differently today and uh, really can be gated by technology and what technology affords you and then other um, big events. So today we have everybody from Gen Z, who is uh, maybe 16 uh, to 22 this year, all the way up to the silence, who are uh, this year will be turned 80. Um, And there's a vast difference in how these people communicate, right? There's nothing has changed more in the last decade and a half than how we communicate in this country and in the world with social media, with phones, with all this kind of stuff. And we can't ignore that uh, those of us who grew up with just a rotary phone <laughs> and maybe the fax was like the biggest thing ever. Right. Go from two modes of communi- three modes of communication, the letter, the phone call and the fax to 29 ports of communication for any one person. So one is to understand that we do have different ways of communicating that are instilled with us and how we grew up. Two is that words have a different meaning. Um, So if you are my age, so I'm the last year of Boomer, end of day meant something very specific when I was uh, starting my career. It meant 5.30 or it meant 6 o'clock. It didn't mean anything later than that. Mm -hmm. And today, end of day, the biggest deadline, the number one deadline that high school and college students have, and they have had for the last about decade, is 11.59.59 p.m. on the day that something is due. Exactly. So end of the day to this group is basically midnight, mm-hmm. <laughs> and end of day to my group is 5.30 p.m. So if you say to somebody younger uh, than me, uh, please give it to me by the end of the day, I mean 5.30 p.m., that person hears 11.59.59. So it's really important to understand what words mean to the different generations and not sort of fall into the trap of using something you think is very specific, but it actually means something different to the person who hears it. Yeah, you like end of day is shorthand. And, and we really have to get rid of that shorthand because it's shorthand among peers, but it's mm-hmm. not necessarily shorthand among generations. So, for instance, in my office um, and with our clients, we say uh, a deadline is not a deadline unless it has a day, a date, a time, and a time zone. Because we have people in different time zones across the country. So, if I give a deadline that says later, um, everybody can be right if they give it to me one minute later or two years later, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) When, in fact, I mean later today. That's what I mean. Later before I knock off. So we have to drive as much specificity into our instruction, into our conversation as possible, so that those things that mean uh, something to me may mean something different to you, may mean something different to a person who's younger or from a different background, um, are not ambiguous. Yeah, it seems like, like you said, specificity, and it it seems like it's a call to heighten our awareness to those times when we are using that shorthand. Absolutely. And end of day is a perfect example of that. Any any other examples that you can think of that you've encountered that maybe you can spare us the pain of finding out the hard way? (laughs) (laughs) Well, end of day, later, end of the week, Mm. first thing, first thing is terrible. First thing where, mm-hmm. you know, 
those things that actually used to mean something very specific. Another great example is give me a draft of something. So I run a public relations farm. We are using the written word often, like mm. all the time. And I might say, can you give me a draft? Well, what I used to mean was, please give me a piece of paper on my desk and I will get my red pen out. Mm-hmm. And the first time that I was given a, I was sent a Google link. And I was like, isn't that a gift? Anyway, so I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm going to download it from here. I had never used a Google link before. <laughs> so I double click on the Google link and it goes to a document. And in the document are five people up on top and there's a running commentary down the side and there's five different colors and there's all these comments. And like, this is not a draft. A draft is something that I get that has already been vetted from people I don't want to see any of the commentary. You'd have to give me the draft piece of paper that I'm going to evaluate. Evaluating an ongoing conversation is not a draft. Well, to this generation and uh, millennials and Gen Z, a draft is very iterative. It is not ever final, apparently. So those kinds of words that mean something to um, a generation that's used technology in a very different way than I did can really cause a lot of challenge in the workplace. Yeah, the words and the technology intersect in so many ways now, like they're they're intertwined in this. And I even think about the phrase like, I will contact you tomorrow. Right. Uh, how? <laughs> you know, tomorrow is already ambiguous, right? Text, they're going to call me, you're going to email me. Mm-hmm. Are you going to Skype me? Are you going to, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. Right? So you have to be really specific yeah. around uh, format and timing. Yeah, absolutely. Those are great points. And you were just, just before we, you know, turned on record, we were talking about Slack Mm -hmm. and using that. And you said you've got Slack, text, email, phone, you know, I'm sure there's probably others. And I don't know about you, but it's like now you have to keep up with messages in Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Google, you know, I mean, there's just, it's nuts. (laughs) You know, we actually, so we work with different clients who have different, also their own different communication platforms. So Mm -hmm. some of them are in Asana, some of them are in Slack, some of them or in SharePoint. Some use uh, Monday, some use Worksheets, some use Google Sheets. Some use, I mean, everybody has different things. So for my teams, we have a way of doing things ourselves, and then we have to graft onto whatever the client does too. It does get very complicated. Yeah. Well, any suggestions for how to, when you're working across these generations, what feels like it is worth, um, I'm not sure how to put this, but like, how should I, how can I say this? You know, do you do you when do you try to get people to conform to a particular standard versus honoring the different ways that people work? Like if somebody says, like I'm, you know, mm-hmm. not to pick on seventy year olds, maybe, but maybe they're just like, I just don't text. You know, I, yeah. I don't want it, so please don't text me. Right. But everybody else is texting. How far do you go to accommodate those kinds of differences in preference? Well, I think some of it depends on who that person is. That person's the boss. Well, hmm. (laughs) you know, the boss is missing out on a lot of conversation about him or her Mm -hmm. by not being on text for sure. Right. (laughs) Right. So part of it, it depends on who it is. Um, And part of it is, you know, this is the way we communicate and setting standards for what goes where. So the I think in the in an office, you have to decide what is the way to communicate for what reasons and then stick to it. And help people who have not used those platforms before get proficient. I don't think there can be too much latitude in that, mm-hmm. you know, 
because you're a group, you're a team, and you have to find ways that everybody can be on the same things together. So we all have to learn new things, no matter who you are, yeah. uh, to make it work. The most important thing is to define it. It's when it's not defined. Like, when do you email? When do you text? When do you call? When do you use Slack? For what? Mm-hmm. That is super important for any team, because uh, if an emergency happens and uh, it just goes into email, well, I'll tell you right now, my team's not seeing that on the weekends, <laughs> because our protocol is if there's an emergency, it's a phone call or to text, then a phone call. And we are in the crisis communications business, not because we want to, but because we have to be. Mm-hmm. And if we count it on email for people to see it, I mean, I want people to turn off their email. We actually have a no email policy, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. It doesn't mean you can't email. It means that you're not responsible to return emails uh, in that time frame, because we all have different times that we're working. Um, and my schedule, which is a little wacky, and I'm between three time zones and all this kind of stuff, should not predicate that everybody else is on email when I'm on email. Yeah. But if there's an emergency, text phone is the thing to do. Yeah. Right? Not Slack. Because the Slack app, some people turn that off on the week. Some people delete it on the weekends, too, mm-hmm. just so they're not pinging the whole time. Mm-hmm. So. A team has to have a well-defined, articulated, and reinforced way of communicating in different scenarios so that everybody knows is on the same plane. For the boss who says, I don't want to be a texter, and everybody else is texting, I, I humbly suggest you learn how to text. <laughs> right. you, are, you are missing out. You, are, you don't know what's going on. The culture is going on without you, and that's not a good thing. Yeah. And I would think that if you're getting pushback from anyone about any of these platforms, whether it's the boss or the new hire, or the 70-year-old or the 20-year-old, that it's worth digging a little bit to say, what is it about texting that you don't like? They might say, oh, I can never turn it off. Well, okay, so let's see if there's a solution for that. Can you turn off your notifications? Can we set boundaries around it? Um, Or it might be, I don't know how to use it, or everybody's using emojis, and I have no idea what they are, you know. So digging just a little bit deeper and finding out what's the resistance and seeing if you can address that as a way to get on the same page. I think emojis and um, shortcuts are important to discuss, right? Because uh, Mm -hmm. one person's smiley emoji is another person's horror emoji. (laughs) And some people don't know all of the acronyms. Exactly. So they get offended by... Uh, by mistake or not get offended by mistake. <laughs> exactly. I, my One of my favorite things is when I was emailing a, a friend of mine, he was in his 70s, I want to say. And sometimes in an email, I would say LOL. Right. And of course, I knew that meant laughed out loud, but he thought it meant lots of love, which yeah. I thought was very sweet. And fortunately, it was appropriate. <laughs> Because he was, you know, a beloved mentor and colleague and friend. Right. Um, and I just thought that was really precious. <laughs> but but it reminded me, oh, yeah. Well, that's yeah. the thing, though, right? You said something. Uh, you used a term that had a very specific meaning to you. He saw the term. It meant something very different to him. Yep. Thank God it was in the same realm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but um, that's what we're dealing with. So we have to do everything we can to make sure that the message we want to deliver is being received. And that's nothing new mm-hmm. in the world. It's just a little more complicated today. Yeah. 
great way of putting it. Well, there are other things that are lending complications to communications, mm-hmm. and and probably for the better. Um, you know, I'm thinking specifically of the Me Too movement. Um, it's impacting the way men and women talk to each other. It's undergone some increased scrutiny over the past few years. I think it's always been paid attention to, but I think that there is a tendency, perhaps, to make it feel like there's a verbal minefield out there. Mm-hmm. That even saying like "you look nice today" right. <laughs> can be perceived as you know sexist, perhaps. So, in this sensitive environment, what should men be aware of when communicating with women? And I want to say this vice versa. Because I don't think it's just men that might cross a line. You're very correct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think uh, it is absolutely a mistake to say, you know, men are the only ones saying things Mm -hmm. um, inappropriate because it's categorically untrue. Yeah. All people, all races, all genders, you know, we all get caught in that. I like to think about it this way. My frame of reference is that everyone's trying to do a good job. And I am a white uh, 55-year-old woman who has an education. So I understand that I'm speaking from a position of privilege when I say that, right? Mm-hmm. But given that that's where I sit, my point of view is I come at it from everybody's, you know, the 99% rule. Everyone's trying to do a good job. It's, you know, they're not meaning to do this. Yeah. However, uh, when something happens, so for instance, a good a good example is, I had an employee who referred to our younger um, employees who were female as girls. I'm like, mm. you cannot say that. Please, that is, they're not girls. They are women. Mm-hmm. Never say that again. And I know you didn't mean it that way. You meant young women, but uh, they're not girls. And it will not, you cannot say that in this office. Um, so my, my approach was, I know you didn't mean it as pejorative. I know you didn't mean it as demeaning, but it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you may not be aware, but in this space, we do not use that word for young women. What's the most important thing is to interrupt the behavior, the conversation, the language that is offensive and wrong, right? Mm-hmm. No matter who you are, in a very kind way, may not be in front of people, right? You may be in a, you might take that person aside and say, um, Joe, you know, in our meeting, you call our youngest people girls. They're not girls. Please don't use that again. It's very offensive, blah, blah, blah. And if that person does it again, then you call them out in public. Mm-hmm. I'm going to interrupt you now. I want to be very clear. Girls don't work here. Young women work here. We call them women, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is true, you know, if it was a man, uh, a woman talking, you know, those young boys, they're not boys, they're men. Right. Right. And then I think, you know, if you're looking for a hard shift in a company or a team, you have to, you know, you have to take a moment and really figure it out. Right. And talk among each other and say, here's here's what and explain. A lot of people don't know why that's offensive. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know why. Um, they can't call someone pretty. They don't can't call someone handsome. Um, you know, my company, we're big huggers, mm-hmm. right? But we have also had a conversation about what's an appropriate hug and what's an inappropriate hug. Yeah. And I have a lot of young women and a lot of most, my, most of my company is women, um, how to extract yourself from those uh, situations so that you can put a boundary up. And then I think the thing is, if the boundary is crossed again is when you have to get, you know, Let's talk about this right now. Yeah, yeah. Do not do that. And if a woman ever feels at risk, and I say this all the time, if a woman feels ever feels at risk, get out of the room right then. Do not tolerate it. You know, make a statement by leaving, mm-hmm. right? 
um, and then um, address it later. And if you feel at risk and you can't get solved, then it's time to go. Yeah. A lot of people criticize me for that point of view. Um, they go, well, they need to like bring the law. And I'm like, you know what? Um, careers are, I, I see it all the time. You know, most of my career has been in San Francisco. We don't have to uh, go too far to find um, ample examples of women who have felt persecuted and uh, belittled in San Francisco bro culture. Um, and so the tide is turning and you can decide if, it, if your effort to make it better isn't working, you know, you can stop beating your head against the wall because there's lots of opportunity for where yeah. it is working. And let's say that somebody is feeling we acknowledge that this goes both ways with both genders, but um, for simplicity's sake, the example that comes to mind is, like, say if a, a man is repeatedly, you know, commenting on his colleague's looks, mm-hmm. and, and let's say he could be commenting on a man or a woman, it doesn't really matter, but to the point where they're making that person uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Would that person talk to the person who is making those remarks, or should they go to HR, or does it depend? I think it depends. Yeah. It depends on how high up that person is and who they're who how how low the person is who's being talked about Mm -hmm. right objectify if you are peers i think the first thing to do is talk directly to the other person because uh that's the adult thing to do Mm -hmm. so um the first depending on who it is the first thing to do is talk you know you can talk to the person and say um it's not okay uh you are objectifying me and most companies today have an anti-sexual harassment policy bring it out and explain Here's what you've just done. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter your intent. This is what you've done. So let's assume your intent was good um, and say your behavior is bad. Let's just start there. And if it keeps going, then write to HR. Yeah. And say it's not the 99% where we can assume best intent, where it's like it was an innocent comment. Say it's the 1% mm-hmm. that is almost predatory. Yeah. Um, if you feel at risk, don't do it yourself. Yeah. That's my opinion. Um, I I think other people might have a different opinion, but if you feel at risk, don't do it yourself. Don't go it alone. Either get your manager or go to HR. Yeah. Is what I would say. Well, I want to close with something that crosses both of these, the generational and the gender differences, because there are some basic ways to approach effective conflict resolution that apply across the board. And they might even apply in some of these cases that we've just been talking about. And you've advocated for a tool called the conflict communication wheel. Would you give us in a nutshell, explain what that is and how we can use it? Sure. So the conflict communication wheel, um, or I call it the wheel, um, is a way to get from conflict to resolution. (laughs) Um, And basically what you do is um, you separate out these things. One, you start with a fact. You separate the facts from the feelings, and then you figure out how to get to it. So um, imagine, Beth, that you had said something derogatory to me, and I was pissed, or I was scared, or whatever it is, right? Um, I would say, Beth, um, I would like to have a conversation with you. Please, um, there's an issue that has come up, and I, I know we can resolve it. But it's important uh, that we discuss it. And you would say, oh, God, whatever. And (laughs) here we go. (laughs) Here we go. But um, in general, I say give 24 hours, like because that person may not be ready. Right. That person might be having a horrible day, whatever. Give that person 24 hours and then you come together and you take this wheel out and I can uh, send it to you. You can give it to your listeners if you want. Um, And you start with the fact. The fact is, Beth, that you said that I was fat. In the context of uh, a job that I was up for. Mm -hmm. And my assessment is that you think that my body mass will not let me do the job well. 
And my feeling is I was offended. I was pissed. I'm humiliated. Mm-hmm. Right. And my request is that you do not tell people, say things out loud uh, about my body and my ability to do a job based on the body ever again. And my offer to you is to talk to you about my the reason of my body mass is the way it is and how I've compensated for that mm-hmm. in terms of my performance, something like that. Or another way you, you say, um, Beth, you've been late. So imagine this, you've been late to the office a week in a row, right? every day for a week. And uh, you're backing everybody else up. And I'm mad because I'm just sitting there. I'm doing all your work and my work yeah. because you're not there on time. So Beth, let's have a conversation, blah, blah, blah. So Beth, um, late is actually subjective. Late is not a fact. So Beth, you have arrived at the office after 9.30 a.m. every day this week. My assessment is, and so I'm gonna, I always choose a positive assessment if I can. My assessment is you don't know our hours. Mm. You don't know that our day starts at 8 a.m. And so you don't know that you've already missed an hour and a half of the day by the time you get here. And my feeling is I'm really pissed. I can't do my job until you do your job. And Joe can't do his job until do I do my job. So I am doing your job and my job for the first hour and a half of every day. And you're not even thanking me for it. I'm mad. Why am I doing double duty? My um, request is that you show up on time, that you show up on the hours that you're supposed to be here, or you figure out a way to do the work before uh, you end the day before so that I don't have to do your job. My offer to you is to help you figure out how we can make this happen, right? So so it's a, you take the feeling out of it. Because if I start with the conversation with Beth, I am so pissed at you. Mm. There's no way to go. You just go into the corner, mm-hmm. right? You have to start with a fact you can both agree on. You're right. I, did, I have come in every day after 9.30 this week. So our assessment is where what drives our feeling, not the fact. It's the assessment, yeah. right? My assessment could be you have no respect for us versus you don't know our hours. And then the conversation ends up being around, not around the facts, because their facts are indisputable, around the assessment. Mm-hmm. And then negotiation. And so, no, I had no idea. I thought we were starting at 930 this week. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Right? And it diffuses the whole thing. Or, yeah, Joe said I could come in at 930. It's not a big deal. Well, Joe didn't talk to us, Right. <laughs> Or, or whatever it is. And the real the conversation is around the assessment mm-hmm. to alleviate the feeling, right? Because in general, most people want to work well together. Um, and then the offer, making a very specific request. A request is you never use that term again. You know, uh, don't call me a girl. Don't comment that I should never say again I should unbutton the button on my shirt. Mm. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. The offer can be everything from... Go to HR the next time you do that. Or the offer is to let's sit down and figure out how we can get a schedule together that accommodates both our calendars. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a conversation um, that looks to come to resolution um, quickly. And I think the most important thing about that is one is really separate your facts from your feelings because we, particularly women have been told don't don't bring your feelings to work. It's such crap. Of course, we're humans. We bring our feelings to work. The important thing about learning how to deal with feelings is what is where are they coming from? Um, understanding facts and then the assessment and how the assessment is driving those feelings. And then um, coming up with a reasonable request that is in line with your cult, the culture of the business and all that kind of stuff. And then, then an offer that actually helps the other person comply because you're asking for a change in behavior. And this wheel, um, you know, communication wheel, which um, came out, I used it in both my books, actually, because it's so effective, um, was based in some work in George Washington University. 
so effective. If something comes, someone comes to my office and says, "Oh, Leah, I'm having a. Have you done the wheel yet?" <laughs> Once you know how to do it, it's fly. You know, it's just it's second nature, and you find that conflict just sort of goes away. You never, you know, it doesn't even occur anymore because um, it's that you don't see it as conflict. Yeah. Um, when something is conflicted, you know, when it's really egregious, it just sort of slaps you in the face. Um, now is the time to deal with that. Not, you know, not three weeks later, but within the next 48 hours is the time to deal with that kind of stuff. And this tool really helps you do that. So a question that comes up a lot is, if I need to talk to someone, like say I need to go through a conflict wheel with someone, and you had mentioned, you know, ask for the meeting and then give it 24 hours. How do you ask for that meeting in a way that does not set that person up to be anxious or upset preemptively? Well, I think that the the thing is, you know, I've, um, there's a situation that happened in the last couple of weeks between us, and we need to get it resolved. I know we can resolve this. I know we can come to a good conclusion, and I'm hoping that in the next 24 hours you can give me, you know, 45 minutes, and we can get to this other side of it, and it'll be better for both of us. If the person gets really anxious, it's like, you know, um, what's the topic? Mm-hmm. You have to be ready to talk to the wheel then. Right. right. You have to be ready. And then also, if you're ready and the person wants to talk right then, also offer to have a conversation again later, mm-hmm. right? You're, you might not be done with one time. So, you know, you go through it and the person's really not ready to hear it um, and say, you know what, this is what I want to talk to you about. I know I caught you off guard. When can you talk again tomorrow? Because I know we can get to the bottom of this in a, bo- in a way that um, we can both be happy with. Yeah. You know, again, I come from it from this point of view is most people don't, you know, there are people who want conflict. I avoid those people like the plague. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, it's just so, it's so wasteful. It's just so wasteful of time and energy and, oh my gosh. But if you have the opinion that most people want to make it work, um, and then sometimes you got to be ready to say that you're wrong. The fact is you were here at 930. Well, um, yes, Joe said I could because, Lee, I have uh, medication I have to take at eight o'clock and I'm not ready to leave the house until 930 and that will be done in three weeks. You know, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But the problem is that Joe, who approved that, never told anybody else that you were going to come in late. So we didn't figure out um, how to get it done. Because every time something changes, something has changed in the dynamic and you have to adjust for it. So there's a lot, you know, I think 90% of conflict can be amicably resolved if you deal with it in a timely manner and a respectful manner. And this communication wheel really helps drive respect into that process. Yeah, and one one piece of clarification around the wheel, um, and you just gave me a perfect example of how this might come up. You know, I'm thinking, okay, Sarah is coming in at 9.30 every morning and our office opens at 8. When I sit down to go through this wheel with her and I'm the one making the complaint, I guess, mm-hmm. do I ask, do I state the fact, like, I noticed that you've been coming in at 9.30 every day this week. And then can I, before jumping to the assessment or, you know, the impact that that's having, do I then ask Sarah, what's going on? Or what can you tell me about that? Well, I think that you could, depending on the relationship, maybe Sarah's been in every, this is the first week in her whole four-year career at the, with you that she's been in. Mm -hmm. So maybe the assessment is something has changed with you and um, something has changed in your situation could be the assessment. So something has changed but I'm still pissed because I'm still doing your work, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't separate the fact from the from the feeling, right? And the assessment could be something has obviously changed, and um, but I'm you know you need to know that's really distressing because I'm doing your work too. So that gives the person um, and how you deal with privacy on that, you know, um, 
You can say, you know, Joe approved this, but we did, you know, if I, if I was Sarah, Joe approved that I come in at 930. I'll be coming in 930 for the next month. Um, for some personal reasons, I'm really not w- willing to talk to you about best, but you're absolutely right. You know, let's figure out how to get the work done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that um, putting some thought into what your assessment is and why you pissed, mm-hmm. right? So if you figure out why you're upset, it's mostly about your assessment, not about the fact. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you for uh, yeah sharing that particular tool, and I'll look forward to sharing that with others. Yeah, I will send it to you. Um, so it sounds like it'd be very useful. Well, um, Lee, where can people learn more about you and your work and your books? So people can, uh, my website, www.leecarraher.com, L-E-E-C-A-R-A-H-E-R.com. Um, at Twitter, at Lee Carraher. I'm so easy to find. Uh, Instagram, at Lee Carraher. My books are there um, and you can uh, at any bookstore. I'm very happy to answer any questions people have after they read them. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for your consistent branding that makes it easy to find you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, this has been very enlightening and I, um, I'm really glad that we had this chat. So thank you, Lee. Thank you so much for having me, Beth. I really appreciate it. Before offering my closing thoughts, I want to share a quick reminder that if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and colleagues, subscribe, and leave a review. It's one more way that you can bring more courageous conversations into the world. This conversation with Lee reminded me about one of the foundational principles of good communication. Never assume. It doesn't matter if you're the same generation, the same gender, or the same whatever. We are each coming from our personal experience and reference points. And by assuming that others share the same context we do, we set ourselves up for misunderstandings, inefficiencies, and at worst, arguments. This is a point that's driven home to those of us who are mediators. As someone is telling their story in a mediation session, seeking clarity on the meaning of particular words can help cut through a previously unresolvable conflict as the people involved realize how many assumptions they're making about what the other person meant. And if we're fortunate enough to find common ground and write up an agreement, specificity is key. Let's say there's an issue with divorced parents who are figuring out how to best coordinate parenting time. They think they're being clear when they say, I'll let you know if I can't pick up the kids. But what does that really mean? How much notice will you give? 24 hours? 2 hours? 10 minutes? And how will you let me know? Text? Email? Phone? It's true that if we get specific and say, I will let you know at least by 3 p.m. on the day that I'm supposed to pick them up if I can't, and I'll let you know via text, there are emergencies that will prevent us from honoring that agreement. But nine times out of 10, we will be able to stick to it. Setting that mutual expectation can prevent future frustration and disagreement. My call to action to you is to notice how often you make assumptions that others will get what you're saying or about what someone else means. You'll find these assumptions popping up in the ways Lee and I discussed, such as around time and method. But you'll also find they're at play when someone uses an adjective, such as mad, busy, happy, hungry, any state of being that's relative to that person that might not mean the same thing to you as it does to me. 
It might seem a little silly, but let's think about it. If you're out doing errands and you're with your partner and the stores are about to close and your partner says, I'm hungry, what do you do? Do you assume without checking in that I'm hungry means I'm starving, I need food now, or I'm going to crash? And then you decide to go through a drive through and the line is long, and the last door you needed to get to is closed by the time you get your food. And you end up feeling annoyed, even resentful, that they kept you from finishing your errands. Or do you check your assumptions, and do you check in with them and say, well, how hungry are you? Can we wait until we get home in 30 minutes? By clarifying what they mean by hungry, you can make a more informed decision. And if they can wait, that's great. If they're about to pass out, then at least you know that and will be able to say a more compassionate yes to not finishing your errands because you care more about their health than to getting to the store in time. The point is that you might only say, I'm hungry, when you need food and you need it now. But your partner might have just been commenting on their growling stomach and be fine waiting a while. So even if you think you share the same definition of a word or phrase, ask yourself, am I making an assumption? And would I change my response if my assumption was wrong? When in doubt, check it out. It can't do any harm, and it might just save you some major frustration down the road. This is Beth B. Lowe, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you for joining me and Lee today for this conversation, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. 